This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. We're in the midst of a sermon series on generosity that takes us through the month of October. What we're talking about each week is the responsibility that we have as disciples to give generously. If you were here in the first part of this journey, the first two weeks, we talked about our foundations for generosity. The first that we identified is that discipleship is a foundation of generosity. That each of us, as people of faith, people who follow Jesus, will follow that command to give generously. The first week, Tim shared with you two things that we feel uh, are true and foundational for generosity. The first is that if we can get discipleship right, if we can really help people become authentic, true followers of Jesus, then we won't have a generosity problem, right? We won't have a money problem in our church because faithful followers of Jesus who are observing God's commandments will begin to give generously because that's a part of who Christ has called us to be. The second part of that is if we get generosity right, then we're going to be investing in the things that matter, the things that are most important to our church. And here at Apex United Methodist Church, we've identified those things to be discipleship, so making, making disciples of Jesus, and then also um, engaging in mission and service in our world. Those things were foundational for discipleship. The second week of the series, you may remember I was with you in here, and we talked about the importance of us sharing our faith from generation to generation. It's important for us to teach our children the commandments of the faith, that commandment that Moses is teaching about in our scriptures um, that we've been covering in Deuteronomy, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your might. That's important for us to teach to our children so that they can pass it along to generation after generation after generation. But it isn't just for our children or the survival of our church that we need to teach that. We teach that partially because our children help us to remember. Children are great at asking inquisitive questions that remind us to remember that truth, that we are called to love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our might. So discipleship and sharing the faith from generation to generation are our foundations for, deci- foundations for generosity. Last week, we shifted from those foundations to the barriers to generosity. You may remember Ricky was preaching in here, and he talked a lot about what are our barriers to generosity and how are we overcoming those. Well, this week is kind of part two of those barriers to generosity. And last week, we talked about our perception related to God and to our material things. Our perceptions may be that we earn a lot of money or we earn money because we have put in the hard work, we've gotten the great education, we have climbed the ladder of success, and that we are, everything that we have is because we have earned it. That may be our perception as people who earn a living and work and um, support our families. But that is a misperception because we know that every gift comes from God. Everything that we do, everything that we have is because God has given it to us. When we understand or perceive that our wealth is because of our own, um, our own actions, then giving becomes something that we do because it's a bill to pay or it's a statement that comes in the mail. It's something that we should do as a good person. But when we see that God's gifts to us that that is when we perceive our wealth as God's gifts to us, then that frees us to give generously of something that belongs to God anyway, right? 
that we're not just giving of our money that we've earned, we are giving of what God has blessed us with. Well, this week we want to shift from that perception of earning and and giving money to the posture that we take towards money and towards the things that God has blessed us with. I want to read to you today from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. Hear this word from the Lord. The Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name alone you shall swear. Do not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people's who are all around you, because the Lord your God, who is present with you, is a jealous God. The anger of the Lord your God would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you from the face of the earth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, pour out your spirit on each of us here. Speak through me and in spite of me a word that might touch our hearts and help us to live as a generous people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the passage of scripture that we read this morning and that was read earlier um, out of 1 Corinthians is their passages about idolatry. Now, when I think about the word idolatry or the word idol in general, it seems like an ancient term to me. I've read a lot about it in scripture. I know that God's people have struggled with, from the beginning of their existence, with creating idols out of things and not being able to rightly order their lives. Adam and Eve traded freedom in the garden and being able to walk with God for the thought of that they could become like God, knowing the knowledge of good and evil. They built, people throughout history have built idols out of gold and worshipped other gods. Even one of Christ's closest followers sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. But those things, those idols that the people of God have created for themselves, they don't really exist for us today, right? We no longer make, you know, idols out of gold or silver. They don't exist for us, right? Not necessarily, This morning, you may not have fashioned a golden calf and put it in your pocket and brought it to church with you, right? But we each have things in our life that take time and attention away from God. Those things that are are making our lives be misordered. And we are called to reorder our lives. This morning, during the children's message, I mentioned to the kids that the things that God wants us to be a part of in our lives, to fill up our lives, they don't quite fit if we don't put God first. If we don't love God with all of our heart, soul, and might, the first of our energy and time, then the rest of the things of life don't quite add up. We don't want to be those people that put God in at the very last, at the end of the day. Now I asked the kids what were some of those things that fill up their days. What about for you all? What are some of the things that fill up your day and distract you away from loving God with all of your heart, soul, and might? Anybody want to share? Sports? No sports fans in here, I'm guessing. Work? Nobody has a job either, clearly. No. Huh? Family? TV? Television? Movies? Video games, anybody like to do that? Facebook, oh my gosh, social media. Let's not even get on that. 
Those are all things that fill up our lives. And our temptation is to do all those things first, right? To get up in the morning because we know we have to get our kids ready for school or we have to get to work. Or for those of you who are in retirement, you have to get to the IHOP or wherever to meet your friends and have coffee. And so you may not think about doing, starting your day off by rightly ordering your life to love God with all of your heart, soul, and might. And it seems like at the end of the day, at the end of our time of, of doing and being busy, that only then is when we might pause before bed to pray and to thank God for blessing us. You know, uh, Tim Keller defines idolatry as putting your heart on the Father's things rather than your heart on the Father. Many of us put our heart on the things that God has blessed us with rather than the one who has blessed us with them. Now, sometimes these things can be very worth our time. I'll never forget, right out of seminary, I was commissioned as an elder and sent to be a campus minister at UNC in Chapel Hill. I thought this was one of the most worthy causes for the kingdom, not just because I'm a Duke fan and I wanted to go and spread the gospel at UNC. I'm just kidding. I love, my heart is divided after serving at UNC. But because people who are 18 to 22 are known for not being uh, a part of the church, even if they've grown up in the church their whole life, this is that time in their life when they take a break, they kind of go off on their own, and they may not return to the church until they have children of their own, if, if ever. This is a, a, a fact, but they've done research on this. And so I saw my, my time at UNC as being critical for helping our, our young adults to be able to claim the faith of their childhood or to discover faith in Jesus for the first time. And so I poured myself into my ministry. I was single, and I had so much energy toward the ministry, and so I was planning retreats, and I was planning worship every week. I was preaching every week. I was helping to manage a, an intentional community that was living, a group of students that were living together um, and focusing their attention on their faith and building a foundation of friendship based on their faith in Jesus. I helped to plan mission trips and I helped to cook meals, and I did everything I could to help support our board of directors and to get our campus ministry on the right track financially. I did all of these things, and they were all so, so life-giving, and I couldn't think of something more worthy. That first year, our student ministry tripled in size, and I started to notice that people were affirming the work that we were doing at UNC. And I have to say that those affirmations were really, really great. I loved hearing people say how great the ministry was doing there. I loved that God was using me in such a mighty way. I was trying to teach the kids, the students, not to lose hope in a world that tells them that money and power and uh, possessions and affirmations from others around you are what most matters most. I was trying to teach them that this is the time for them to discern who God is calling them to be and to live into that with all that they have during their time in college and beyond. But as soon as I started gaining those affirmations and recognizing the influence that I had in that community, I began to see my job as I began to focus my attention less on loving God with all my heart, soul, and might and more on loving the students, which is a really worthy cause, something really, really important. But I noticed it wasn't until I, I was exhausted um, and I started having some health issues, and at my one-year mark of ministry, I had to evaluate my schedule as a part of, of getting ready for ordination interviews. 
had to look at a two-week snapshot and write down every single minute I had spent in ministry. And at the end of that first week, I went back and counted up the hours. And on average, I was working 80 hours a week. Now, that was not healthy for anybody. And I remember many days getting home at 11 o'clock at night and eating a bowl of cereal before bed because I had missed dinner. That wasn't something that was healthy for me to be doing. A very worthy cause, but I had let that desire to be busy become an idol in my life. So I had to reorder my life and my ministry. I had to set boundaries for myself. I had to think outside of what every single minute, every single student needed and think more towards what God had called me to do and be there. You know, this happens all the time. We see it a lot in Scripture, where sometimes the people of God simply make poor choices about what to do. They choose greed or power or putting their individual um, needs or desires ahead of the community. And when that happened, the outcomes are not as God has intended them to be. God's desires for them were that they would fill up their jar first with those life-giving things of loving God with all their heart, soul, and might and then letting the rest of it fill in. In the video today, you heard from Craig, one of our congregation members at the Peak Campus, share that he and his family had put down the badge of busyness. I loved that phrase. How many of us like to proudly wear that badge of busyness? When someone asks you how you're doing, no one says, I've been pretty lazy lately. Nobody says that. I mean, maybe you do, but um, I wish I could say that. <laughs> we all go into, well, I've been really busy. That's how I want to for And then we talk about how all the ways we've been busy. You know, my kids are, you know, doing competitive sports or travel sports. Um, I'm helping to lead the handbell choir at church. I'm doing all these other things, things that are really important and worthy. But we wear that badge of busyness as if it is something to be proud of and honor. Craig's family broke through the personal barriers or that badge of busyness to give generously to the church. And that's what we're called to do as well, to reorder our lives, to remember that we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, and might, and that that should be the foundation for everything that we do in our lives. At this point, I want to invite Georgia Meccas to come and to share about how she and her husband, Doug, have broken through barriers to generosity um, so that they can give generously to the life of the church. Georgia, if you'll come join me. You notice that I look like I'm really techno-savvy. I told the early morning people, I don't really know how to use this very well, but we had a little barrier a couple of weeks ago. Our house was struck by lightning and my printer doesn't work, so I had to use this. <laughs> so, uh, my name is Georgia Meckes and I moved from Atlanta, Georgia to marry the man that I have loved the most in my life. We were married in September of 1992 and even before we married, we started looking for a church here. I had been from the big city, so I thought I needed to go to a big old church. This church had 300 members at that time. So, being from the big church, I said, well, let's go down to Raleigh. Go to a big church. So we did, a couple of times. Didn't have that feeling. So, 
we talked about how much we would really like to have a church in our own community. So one weekend before we got married, I was visiting and we decided that we would go to the Apex United Methodist Church. We found out then that they were renovating the sanctuary, enlarging it. So they were meeting at what was then called the Ramada Inn. It was Easter music. They were having the cantata. So Doug said, since I am a music person, you will love this. And I did. The music was beautiful. But the sanctuary was right next door to the bar, and the smell was pretty awful. (laughs) So we decided we'd look around a little more, and we went to several churches, and One Sunday I read in the Apex Herald that the Apex United Methodist Church renovation had been completed and that it was going to be open on that very next Sunday. So I called my husband at work and I said, let's go one more time. So we did. When we walked into the church, it had that feeling. You've had that feeling too when you came here for the first time. It's friendly. It's loving. Everybody is here for the same purpose. It's a great place to be. So after church, we ran up to Henry Lovelace, the then, pre- the then preacher, and within a week, we were members of this church and working hard here. So what a blessing it has been for us, and it is continuing to be a blessing for us now after 25 years. Barriers? <laughs> yes, we've had our share. I married a man that had three children. I had never had to worry about somebody else's child in my whole life. Oh my goodness, what a barrier for me that was. Great children, turned out all well. But back then, oh my goodness, we were planning for activities, trying to pay for activities for our children, buying cars for our children, buying cars for us, making house payments. But we really didn't have a house at first. We lived in a building in downtown Apex under the ground for seven years in a basement apartment that my husband's head scraped the ceiling every time he walked into the house. But it was all fun, sometimes difficult, but we all have our difficulties. But sometimes it was hard for us to meet not only our commitment to the church, but other places too. But I had learned at a really early age about giving to the church. My granddaddy was a circuit rider minister, Methodist minister in South Alabama. So my family, was they were all tithers. And so my mom and dad always tithed. I didn't really know what that meant. I was so young. But I did get an allowance every week, 50 cents every week. I was so excited, but my mother would give it to me with a quarter and two dimes and a nickel, and on Saturday afternoon, she would give it to me and then give me my little envelope that I had for my church money, and I would put that nickel in that envelope and just proudly write my name on it and put it right by the door, and on Sunday morning, I would take that to church, and I got to put it in the plate by myself. I was so proud, and when I got to to where I got a dollar, I had to put 10 cents in it. So I learned a little bit about giving all the time. I knew that I was supposed to give. I knew that my money was not from me. It was not from my mom and dad. It was given to me by God, and it was my responsibility to give back 
when I got a little bit bigger, my tithe was more. I knew I had great Sunday school teachers, great youth leaders, and mentors that taught me that everything comes from God, not just my money. So Doug and I sit down every year, and we talk about what God has given to us, how he cares for us, and gives us new opportunities each year. There were times when we couldn't make a payment to the church that we had committed to, but somehow, before the end of the year, we always made that payment up. Some years, our commitment was smaller. We couldn't give what we thought we should. It takes work to push through all those barriers that we have, things and situations, but we know that everything we have is from God. He made it and gave it to us to use to make this world a better place and make this church a better place. When you look around this room and see a wonderful place that we have to worship, a wonderful place for our children to play and worship, great pastors, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, music leaders, we know that it had to come from God through the gifts that he has given us. Talk about what you plan to give regularly as a family. Include your children in the discussion. It's important for them to learn this now. Their barriers won't be as big if they learn it early. We are the benefactors of God's love, his blessings, and his grace. Thank you. Thank you, Georgia. Let's give Georgia a hand. Thank you for sharing. So as you heard Georgia say, it's important that even in spite of the barriers, we order our lives in a way that we, we prioritize giving to God, that we choose to give to God first so that the rest of our life fits into place as God intended it to be. I want to share with you a, a quote from St. Augustine about living a life that is just and holy and really reordering our lives so that it's the way that God intended it to be. Augustine says, living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things, to love things in the right order so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved, so that you um, have, don't have a greater love for what should be loved less or an equal love for things that should be loved less or more so that you don't have a lesser or greater love for things that should be loved equally. We have to remember to be objective and impartial about how we evaluate the things in our life, to love the things the appropriate amount. And that means that we have to love God first with all of our heart, our soul, and our might. Now, when it comes to money, I want to encourage you to invest in the things that matter, the things that Jesus calls us to invest in, to create disciples who will transform the world through their giving and through their gifts. Now for some of us that will mean that we're able to give gifts as we normally do on a regular basis to a budget and stick to it that we can give those gifts regularly. But like Georgia said they weren't always able to give at the rate they wanted to but by the end of the year they always were able to make good on the promise that God that they had made to God and to the church. And you, when you came into your pew this morning, you might have found that there was an estimate of giving card. There is a ladder on the back page, on this page, um, and actually it's the very last page of your annual report if you received that in the mail this week. We do have extra copies of these if you would like to see a highlight of our ministries for 2016. Now for some of us, if you look at the ladder that should be on the screen above you, there is a way for us, maybe we're occasional givers. 
what we're challenging all of us to do this year is to move a step up the ladder, that we are able to give an initial gift if we've never given one before, that if we've been giving um, on a somewhat regular basis, that maybe we choose to make that regular, that we choose at the beginning of the month or the beginning of our, when we get our paycheck every two weeks, that the first thing we do is make a payment online or through the check to fulfill our estimate of giving for 2017. If you've been generous, been able to be generous through the years and have already made your 10% commitment and are at a tithe, we encourage you to be someone who gives above and beyond in the way of sacrificial giving um, and then eventually getting to a place where you might consider legacy giving. All of us should be moving towards um, giving more to God. It's not easy to start out at 10% tithing. Um, to go from zero to 10% is pretty incredible in most cases. But for each of us, we should be striving to give a little more this year than we gave last year. So that might mean increasing from 1% to 3% or from 3% to 4% of our annual gifts that God has blessed us with. We invite you, um, no matter what you're able to give at this time, whether a little or a lot, that your response matters. It's important for us to take, uh, to live into the dreams that God has given us as a church and to estimate what we feel like God um, has given us and what we can give during this next year. The way that we posture ourselves toward, towards our money and towards the things that God has given us are, is really important. And so for us, as we move towards becoming faithful followers of Jesus, uh, we hope that we will be able to um, relate to one another and to give generously so that God's kingdom movement will continue on in this place. And so I want to leave you with that question that we have asked in the video and that Georgia asked. What are the answered, what are those personal barriers that you need to break through to give generously to the life of the church? Let's think about that as we um, prepare in the service to give our offering. We're going to be collecting these estimate of giving cards this week and next week. And these cards will help us to decide um, how we can move forward in our budgeting for next year and, and the many ways that God is going to use our church um, to bless the community of Apex and beyond. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for every gift that you have given us. We know that every dollar that's in our bank account, everything that we possess belongs to you. And so Lord, we pray that you will help us to order our lives appropriately, rightly, so that we put loving you with all of our heart, soul, and might first in our lives so that everything else that comes our way will fall right into place as it should. Lord, help us to be a generous people with our time and with our resources. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.